welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. Guess what? Today is the one year anniversary of this podcast, Mind Money Balance. (laughs) Yeah, so this time last year, right before the world changed, I was launching this podcast and it was really all about helping people understand that our relationship with money is nuanced. It's so much more than just dollars and cents. And since then, almost 10,000 downloads have happened. At the time of this recording, 9,800 downloads have happened, which is huge and amazing. And I'm, I'm just so thankful to have you here as a listener, here to follow along this journey as you work on creating a healthy relationship with money, as you have subscribed to the podcast and taken steps towards talking about money and thinking about money and folding it into your your weekly routine, I want to give you a huge thank you. I just want to say thanks for being here, for leaving your reviews, for sharing this out on Instagram. I would not be able to do what I am doing here, offering up this free information without your support. So yay to me for you making it to one year, but more importantly, yay to you for allowing me to do this work. So we are on episode 52 today. Holy wow, how did that happen? I've got Dr. Betsy Chung on with me today. And as you'll hear during our conversation, we recorded this back in December of 2020. I have a habit of putting too much shit on my plate, and then it takes a little while for me to get through a backlog. So I had batched out podcast episodes for quite some time. So even though we had this conversation a few months ago, everything we talked about is, of course, still relevant. But if you're scratching your head going, why are they talking about Christmas? It's because that's when we recorded it. The other thing that I think is important to know about this conversation with Betsy is that she doesn't say things about how she has gained money confidence, but as a therapist, as I listen to her, she talks about how spending in alignment with her values led her to feel more comfortable and practicing self-compassion really led to money confidence. So even though she doesn't come out and say, oh, I've got all the money confidence in the world, I really picked up on how she has strengthened her relationship with money by doing what she does with clients. So she is a clinical psychologist in Southern California, and she helps people achieve healthy relationships with themselves by empowering them with a deep understanding of how their past life experiences have contributed to their current struggles. And Betsy is super open with her money story and some of the main kind of lessons and imprints she had on her financially through early childhood experiences. So it's really interesting to listen to her really kind of walk the walk or talk the talk, as it were, about understanding how past life experiences contribute to our relationship with money. So you will hear us dig into how she's saving money during this strange time, the paradox of knowing versus doing, and how she is currently working toward spending in alignment with her values. Here it is, my interview with Dr. Betsy Chung. 
glad to have you on the Mind Money Balance podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. So for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are both professionally and then just personally, like what you're doing for fun, joy, groundedness right now. So I am a clinical psychologist and I am based out in Southern California. I previously had a practice in Newport Beach, but I since closed that since the pandemic started. I primarily work with individuals to achieve healthy relationships with themselves and others. And so a healthy relationship with yourself would be self-esteem, self-worth, and relationship with others would kind of be like relationships basically with anybody else, like not just, you know, your husband or wife or anything, but like bosses, friends, and things like that. Right now, I have just been staying home a lot. So all the stuff that my husband and I used to do to have fun, we're not really able to do, but it's been kind of nice because we're able to like save money and stuff. We've been able to save money and, you know, here and there splurge on little things. We'll, we'll take like mini trips here and there. Christmas is coming up. So we're able to spend a little bit more and get the gifts that we want to get for people and stuff. So so it's been a very interesting year in trying to figure out how to navigate fun and money and all of that stuff. Yeah. So what were the things you did when the world was open for fun? Oh, geez. Oh, my God. Okay. So I used to go shopping almost every other weekend. My husband used to love fishing. I mean, he could still do that, but he doesn't do it as much anymore. We used to go out to eat a lot. I don't know. I mean, hang out with my family. We, we did a lot of family stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I mean, and, and I guess before we would take more mini vacations. And so, you know, because we're in Southern California, we're really close to Vegas. And so we'll have like maybe a Vegas trip every two months or so. Mm-hmm. So there was always something little to do on the weekends, but now it's kind of like we, we shut down again. So we can't even go somewhere and have brunch before we hit up errands or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have just felt personally how much harder it is for me as a therapist to compartmentalize and to hold space for my clients. I really need like extra downtime and extra recharge time. So I hear that kind of echoed in your, your voice of like, oh, what did we used to do pre, pre this new world? Um, yeah. yeah. And I think it's important for for people to know, like we're human first, we're obviously going to be impacted with everything that's happening alongside our clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're here to talk about money. And the reason I specifically reached out to you for folks who don't know, because why would you, <laughs> Betsy and I met on Instagram <laughs> as all good therapist friendships start. <laughs> and on a couple of my posts, she'd made some comments that I was like, huh, Let's see. Sounds like we got some uh, money stuff happening. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I could just hear in her responses and read in her responses that there was some anxiety going on, which again is normal when it comes to money. So can you tell folks a little bit about kind of your money story, what your relationship is with money? So I was raised immigrant household. My parents came here in the late seventies and with basically nothing. They came here with my sister. My sister was already born. So they they basically had to build from ground up. And I think that because of that, my mom just really needed to budget and save because they ended up having five children. So, So my mom was always very, very big on practicality. 
She was pretty frugal. There are things that we would spend money on growing up were always things that we needed. So if I ever wanted anything as a little girl, I remember, for instance, when I was a probably, I don't know, six or seven years old, because I had two older sisters, they were like three to six years older than me. And they always kind of got everything and I got all the hand-me-downs. And so I remember we would go to the store and they would get lunch boxes and I would want a lunchbox. And my mom would say, no, you don't need a lunchbox. You could just use brown paper bags. And every time we go to the market, she would get these little free paper bags that they would give out for lunch. And, and my sisters would get the lunch boxes because they were older. And, you know, and eventually I'll have two sets of lunch boxes to be handed down to me. So I think for me, money always kind of represented, you know, things that I wanted. And it was always really frustrating and I also kind of connected money as the little girl to, I guess, popularity too. So there were, you know, girls that had the nice clothes and they had the LA gears that lit up and all of those things were things that I really wanted that I didn't have. And I thought that the reason why people maybe weren't close with me in elementary school or in middle school was because I didn't have these cool things. I even remember that, my grandpa once took me to, we, we have this store called the Sanrio store. It's basically like Hello Kitty and all that stuff. And I think you probably are familiar with that. And he took me and he actually got me a Hello Kitty lunchbox. And I was so excited. And if anybody follows my IG, they, they know that I have a really close relationship with my grandpa because <clears throat> I talk about him a lot. And he took me to get this Hello Kitty lunchbox. And when my mom came home and saw that, she took me back to the store to return it because she said, oh, "Oh, too expensive. Fine. If you really want a lunchbox that badly, I'll get you another one. And then she ended up getting me this like super flat lunchbox. It was at the Sanrio store, but it was cheaper and it wasn't the one I wanted. So that was kind of her middle, you know, her, her compromise with me, which was not a compromise to me at all. So I guess my story with money has always been growing up. I always wanted stuff. And I felt really powerless to have the stuff that I wanted. And, you know, mom was always stressing about budgeting, but also never really taught me to how to budget. So every time I wanted something, it was like, mom, you know, buy me this. But why would I ask her? Because she would always say no anyway. Right. So it's like, I always felt kind of powerless. Like, okay, I can't have anything. But by the time I became an adult, I didn't know how to budget because there was never like an allowance where it's like, here's this amount of money, save it up and, you know, buy whatever it is that you wanted. It was more about like, oh my God, here, I finally have money. So I'm going to go and buy whatever the heck I wanted. And I actually didn't learn how to budget until later on in life when I left a job and entered private practice. And I was like, okay, I'm going to need something for myself to kind of cushion me while I get started. And so that's kind of how I started to learn how to handle money in a better way. But I definitely still find myself struggling with money in a lot of different aspects of my life too, because of this story. Yeah. So the story there is, is multifaceted, like most money stories are, but one that, that stands out to me is this duality of, we have to hold on tightly to our money and you have to know how to manage it, but I'm simultaneously not going to teach you how. 
And then the other one of the importance of being practical and being frugal as a survival mechanism, you know, as an immigrant family with five children, of course, you know, it makes sense that your caregivers would be cognizant of where their money is going, but to see, you know, as a young child, the rules kind of be different for your older siblings than you, I imagine was probably really confusing. It strikes me as well that it took until you got into private practice for you to start kind of facing the realities of money, unless there's something I I miss there. Is it fair to say that it really wasn't until you were a business owner that you started to look at your relationship with money and money management? Mm -hmm. So my parents, they're business owners as well. And so I always kind of felt like I had somewhat of a knack for business. So I guess that going into private practice because of the fact that I was no longer going to, you know, just have a consistent paycheck and I wasn't going to have insurance. I knew that I was going to need to do something in order to protect myself until I made a living that could support me. So when I had left my previous job, I remember literally two months before I left my previous job, I knew that I was going to leave And I was like, oh my God, I don't have any savings. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time I must've been 28 years old. And I was like, I'm a 28 year old with no savings. I'm just like spending all my money paycheck to paycheck. I I would have a little bit of savings, but hardly anything. And so I decided that I was going to take all these paychecks of mine. Cause I was like, I have no bills at the time. I was still living with my parents. So I was like, there's no reason I shouldn't have savings. And so I basically just started to take my paychecks, put it in a savings account. I started to kind of self budget. It's like, do I need to go out for lunch today? No, I could probably just buy sandwiches and go back to the stuff that my mom taught me growing up. It's like, I could just buy, you know, bread and meat and just eat that. And I guess that there were definitely things that I could take with me from what my mom taught me. So she taught me ways of being frugal, but then she didn't really teach me how to handle all the emotional stuff related to money. So yeah, I I guess that going into private practice was what really pushed me to manage my money better. Yeah. And it it sounds like you were kind of self-taught. You were like, I just kind of put myself on a budget. How did you even know to do those things? Did you turn to certain books or podcasts or how did you figure that out? I just turned to what my mom taught me. Mm -hmm. Every time she Mm -hmm. said no, came rushing back. So it's kind of that inner critical voice, right? Totally. The store and it'd be like, no, you don't need that. Mm -hmm. So in a Mm -hmm. way it helped me during that time. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, it always, you know, that, that inner critical voice was, was always chastising me and telling me, you know, like, you don't need that thing. And so even now, Sometimes my husband always gets mad at me because I don't buy myself things a lot. And when I really, really want something and it's expensive, he always just tells me, he's like, just buy it, just buy it already. And it takes me months to decide. Mm. And because I'm, I'm just constantly going back and forth, it's like, oh, should I buy it? Should I buy it? He's like, we're not going to go poor. You know, this isn't, this isn't some, some unreasonable spend, you know? And so it usually takes me months and Yeah. Hmm. Are there certain things that are harder for you to buy than other things? Like I heard you at the, at the start of our conversation say that you like to 
spend money on, on traveling and eating out? Are there certain things that are harder for you to shop for, to exchange your money for? Yep. So traveling <laughs> and eating out, that's something that I do with my husband. Um, okay. I actually spend more time looking for stuff for him. Mm. And literally just last week we went Christmas shopping and he knew that I I always loved shopping. Um, I learned that from my mom too. So it's weird because at the end of the shopping day, he's like, did you buy anything for yourself? I was like, no, but he got like three shirts and a pair of jeans. And we just spent all this money on Christmas gifts. And I literally spent no money on myself. Mm. So I think it all goes back to all of those times that mom would tell me, you don't need this. And so that that became ingrained into my mind every time it came to spending any kind of money, because it was always about save, save, save. It was never, ever about this is how you're supposed to spend money. This is what you're allowed to spend money on. So it's really interesting because I remember when I was in high school, my parents took a trip to Europe and they love traveling as well. And they never really started doing it until all of my siblings were in college and were kind of old enough. And so they, they waited. That was one of the things that they valued. And so when my mom went to Europe, she came back with like three Louis Vuitton bags. And I was like, what? Louis Vuitton? Like you buy name brand? That's crazy. And so I was really confused. And so I asked her, I said, how much did you spend on this trip? And she said like, oh, I think total, I spent about $10,000. And I was like, what? That is not my mom. And then so the thing that I realized, um, you know, now that I'm older is that, yeah, it's not like my mom never, ever spent money. It's that she never taught me how to spend money. So even when I moved into my new condo and there were things that I needed to buy, like furniture, I was always like, you know, indecisive between, okay, should I buy the good furniture? Because this is actually home now. And this is where I'm, I've been saving my money to go. But then I've got this other part of me that's like, no, no, that's too expensive. Is there a cheaper version of that? And luckily, I think that my husband has actually helped me a lot on the other end where he reminds me that it's okay. He's like, we're not going to be homeless if we just spend a little bit more on this couch that you want. Yeah, he's a really, really good balance for me. Yeah, it sounds like in a lot of these stories, I hear you saying that he's kind of this counterpart for you. And I really appreciate that because in a lot of my couples work, the, the myth is that if you have one partner who's a saver and one who's a spender, then you're going to have conflict. But I actually find the opposite. I find that they tend to balance the other person out. So I appreciate hearing you kind of explain how that works in your relationship. How does this money anxiety and kind of the duality there show up in your private practice in terms of charging your clients fees or in terms of where your office is going to be? How does the money stuff show up in your business? This is such a good question because I literally had this exact conversation with my husband the other day and I never realized that, you know, that my money stuff leaked into my professional life until I was having a conversation with a couple of colleagues and they were talking about how much they charge per session. And it was not just a little bit more than what I was charging, but significantly more than what I was charging. 
And on top of that, I was practicing out of an area that was a very wealthy area of Southern California. I thought about it. I'm like, what was it that kept me back? Because I think I'm a pretty good therapist. You know, I've been practicing for many, many years now, and I've graduated, I think, in 2010. So like 10 years, you know, and like, what am I doing? And I've barely raised my rates since the beginning of private practice. And I thought about it and I realized that it's because I was afraid that clients wouldn't want to see me anymore. I was trying to lower my rates for that area so that people would want to choose a cheaper therapist than the more expensive therapist, even though when I was in grad school, they would often say that a lot of times clients, I mean, they'll pay what they can afford. They're not going to, they're not going to go like terribly above budget, but that clients generally value therapy more when they pay more. And so even though I knew all of these things, I still was really afraid. And the thing that was holding me back is mom's practicality, right? Like growing up, it was always about spending money on things that you really, really needed. And this isn't to say that people don't need therapy or anything like that. But there's this idea that if I could find a cheaper this, then I'm going to go with this. You know, so I think I carried that into my professional life and that really, really impacted the fees that I charged. And I think that that's also a reflection of, you know, what I think I'm worth, you know. So whenever I didn't get that lunchbox that I really wanted, it's like, oh, it's probably because I didn't deserve it. So that's something that's ongoing that I just really have to continue to work on as personally and, and professionally. I appreciate your transparency and just sharing how hard this work can be. And at the same time, it does sound like you've grown tremendously from your 28-year-old self. What's a thing or some things that you're really proud of in your journey of getting your mind and money in balance? So I think that something that I'm really proud of right now is just being able to allow myself to work with my husband. So you kind of brought up my husband earlier. And the honest truth is, there used to be conflict between the two of us. When we first got married, we actually argued a lot. And it actually caused us to wonder, is this marriage even going to work? Because I came from a family that was so focused on being frugal and saving, and saving for retirement and you know, enjoying your life later. So kind of like what I said about my parents, whereas he came from a family that was, he kind of grew up in poverty. So for them, it was just really about spending whatever came in. And, you know, his, his parents, for instance, for Christmas, he would get expensive gifts sometimes. Like he would, you know, if him and his brothers wanted a PlayStation, they would do whatever they could in order to come up with enough money to buy, you know, their kids a PlayStation. And so, you know, my husband came from a very, very different camp of thinking. And so when we first got together, it was really hard for us to, to, you know, kind of reconcile saving money versus spending money. And so I think slowly he started to trust me a little bit more in terms of like, okay, should we wait on that? And then for me, I started trusting him a little bit more too you know, he used to tell me, it's like, it's okay. Like, well, we'll take like staycations for instance. And, you know, once uh, the first time we ever did one was in Santa Monica and we rented this hotel room that was like very expensive. And I was like, 
why are we doing this when I live 20 minutes away? But he was like, because we never get to do this. And it's not like we do this often. And wouldn't it be nice to just be able to, you know, stay in Santa Monica, go take some walks on the beach, not feel like we have to drive home. And, you know, we could have a couple of cocktails and walk and go to a nice dinner. And I was like, all right, you know what, that's true. You know, I think we, we can do that. And so I, I think that, you, you know, part of my work, and I, I guess, what makes me proud of where I am today is just allowing myself to be a little bit more flexible and really challenging some of the stuff that I grew up with rather than kind of being defensive and like, no, my mom's way is the right way. Thank you for sharing that. And, and again, it's just so normalizing and validating to know that we are not inherently born knowing how to engage with, manage our money, how to communicate about it, what way is better than the other. All of that stuff is something that we learn over time. And and so I just really appreciate your transparency and being here today. So Betsy, as we wrap up today, where can everybody learn more about you and follow along with you and your work? Yeah. So you can probably find me most frequently on Instagram. I'm always on there. Um, So if you're interested in checking out some of my work on relationships and self-esteem, my handle is lovealways.com at Dr. Betsy. And if you are interested in working with me and you want to know a little bit about the work that I do, you can find me on my website at www.drbetsychung.com. Beautiful. Thank you. And those, uh, her handle and website will all be linked in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about, you know, jotting it down if you're walking or driving somewhere right now. So thanks again, Betsy. So appreciate your time and wisdom. Thank you. That was my conversation with Dr. Betsy Chung, and I want to share a few takeaways with you from my conversation with her. But before we get into that, if you are wondering what exactly your relationship with money is like or what values are important to you, you know, Betsy talked about how she was able to identify what she was able to spend money on and what she struggled to spend money on. I have a quiz that helps you understand which of the four financial archetypes you are are that can help you to start on your path towards building money confidence. Why? Because when we understand who we are and how we engage with money, it helps us to acknowledge with compassion the why behind our different behaviors. So if you haven't taken that quiz yet, go to mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. It's super quick. It's super fun. And you will get your results and a little bit of information about your financial archetype. And if you do take it, be sure to screenshot and then tag it out on Instagram stories. I always love to hear what my listeners are doing (laughs) with the information that I give out here on the podcast and also seeing which of my followers and listeners fall into different archetypes. So again, that's mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. All right. The first takeaway from my conversation with Betsy is the paradox of knowing versus doing. I know I should be X, but I am doing Y. I mean, (laughs) this is kind of like behavior change in the human experience. I mean, we often know what we should be doing, but the action taking of actually doing that thing can be really, really hard. So if you are a person who knows you should be saving more money and you also find yourself spending more money, Instead of getting stuck in the, I know I 
should be saving, but I'm spending loop, I would encourage you to think about Sure, I know I should be saving, but I'm spending, but also am I spending in a way that I want to? And what am I saving for? Saving to save doesn't make any sense. Saving because you want a financial cushion for emergencies is a great reason to save. Saving so you have money so you can say F you to the job that isn't a good fit great reason to save money. But just saving because somebody told you to, not only does it not feel good, but you're less likely to really stick with it. So before you start beating yourself up about, I know I should be doing this, but I'm not, check in with the why. The second thing, of course, we're talking about money confidence, is how to actually find your money confidence. Betsy shared how her money stuff was kind of leaking elsewhere. She talked about how her relationship with money, feeling like she she could only charge so much, really was harming her because when she found out her colleagues were charging significantly more than what she was charging for her psychotherapy services, there was some guilt and sadness around feeling like she could have been earning more money than she was. So rather than beat herself up to really build out that confidence muscle, she practiced what she preaches, right? She practiced self-compassion. She practiced, how can I work on my money stuff so that I can have a sustainable income and boost my money confidence? So if you find your money stuff leaking elsewhere, she talked about how it leaked into her business. Maybe it's leaking into your relationships or your ability to fully show up at work. Check in with what you can do so that you can build that money confidence and kind of compartmentalize it a little bit. I know that sounds a little bit counterintuitive because I'm always talking about how money is intersected with everything, but if we can kind of zoom out a little bit and say, hey, I'm going to keep my money stuff over here and I'm going to keep my relationships here and I'm going to keep my job over here, that may help while you are working on building up your money confidence. And the third takeaway is is what we call values-based budgeting or spending in alignment with your values. I've talked about this before. I'm certain it will not be the last time I talk about it, but Betsy shared that she spends easily on food and on travel because those things are important to her in her relationship. And those are things that allow her and her husband to connect on a deeper level, right? So going out and eating when it's safe to do so, same thing with traveling. Those are ways that build um, build up her relationship. And those are ways that feel good for her to spend. So again, checking in with how can I spend in alignment with my values? And that kind of weaves throughout the first two things I talked about. If you know that you're spending in alignment with your values, more likely than not, that's going to increase your confidence when it comes to your relationship with money. And when you're spending in alignment with your values, it's easier to get out of that paradox of knowing versus doing. If you're spending in alignment with your values, it makes it easier for you to spend money on things that are important to you or saving in alignment with your values, maybe saving again towards that FU fund so you can leave that toxic job. Before we wrap up today, again, make sure you head over and take that free quiz at mindmoneybalance.com. And if you are loving this podcast, since it is the one year anniversary of it, I would love if you could leave me a rating and review wherever you are listening or take a screenshot and tag me out on Instagram. I love to know what takeaways you're getting from this, what other things you would like me to cover and which episodes in particular are resonating. And with that, I will see you right here next week. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, 
clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.